Hey everyone, I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband Shane. Baby Lou is in bed, the cat is in her room, and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on this Family Tree Podcast, episode 40? 40, boom, boom. Our big four is zero. This is exciting. I didn't even think of that till now. And Baby Lou is in bed, but I must note, we are doing this in the afternoon, so it's a nap time bedtime. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with it. It's just weird for me to be doing this intro at this time for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> no, I get it. And we are doing that because uh, I am just getting more and more pregnant and more and more tired. And my brain is starting to shut off at nighttime, which makes it really hard to podcast. But I want to get into who our guests are going to be tonight because this is very exciting. First off, we have Valeria Lipovetsky. She is a social media icon out of Toronto who I started following pretty much as soon as I got pregnant. She's into fashion. She is What a, defines an icon? She is... <laughs> well, you can't go throwing around icon if you don't know what it means, Alex. Okay. I was just curious. I'm not saying she's not an icon. I just want to know what an icon is and the definition of it. Well, I think that if you are in Toronto and if you are a mom, if you're not a mom, if you're a woman between the ages of 20 and 35, you're going to know who she is just because she has such a presence online in this like Toronto female community, right? She's a businesswoman. She is a really famous YouTuber. And she's kind of translated that into Instagram. She's Yeah, I really like her. I was looking at, like, obviously, I'm not indoctrinated into this world until recently. So I just learned about her. But from all the research I did for this interview, I really grew to like her. Well, she's so much fun. And there are a few other, you know, Toronto-based mom bloggers or just bloggers in general that I started following when I became pregnant that I just kind of fell off of because you know it wasn't like super enjoyable content but valeria her posts always bring a smile to my face because she she actually teaches you so much too that's what i love about it like from hair to skincare routines and she talks about parenting but and after we did this interview i actually saw a video of her meeting her father for the first time i didn't know that existed i know and i had wished i had seen it before the interview, but I just, I guess I just got to deep dive more in the future, you know? Mm-hmm. No, she's a very interesting woman and an incredibly powerful woman as well. Okay. And then we have... We have Australian prodigy, essentially, musician Ben Lee. So he grew to fame when he was like 14 in the band Noise Addict. So it was kind of in that Australian scene along with Silverchair, another teenage band. And he became so recognizable for his abilities in singing and songwriting. And I think to this day, he's probably like one of the most famous people ever to come out of Australia. 100%. 100%. So Shane's a big fan of his and turned me on to who he was. And at first I was like, oh, I don't know if I recognize Ben Lee. But then I started listening to music and I'm like, yeah, I know this. I love this. And it was incredible to be able to talk to him too. So since I was a big fan of Ben Lee. You were a huge fan of Ben Lee. Yeah, still am. But I got you really excited. Like, you don't understand how big yeah. Ben Lee is. This is going to be so great for us, <laughs> the podcast, our lives going forward. But because I knew so much about him, I put all my prep into, why can I not say her name? Valeria. Valeria. So I put all my prep into Valeria. 
And then when it came to that <laughs> interview, I'm like dominating the mic. You were a rock star. Yeah, you were, you you apologized. I wasn't a rock star. Yeah, you apologized to me after for possibly taking up too many of my questions. <laughs> yeah, because you'd go to talk like we have this technique where when we're going to ask a question, we we touch each other's knee. But I'd be like smacking her hand off my knee like, no, I've got three more in a row I'm going to be asking. It was like a baseball game. I touched Shane's leg because I was ready to ask Valeria a question. And then Shane would call me off. Yeah. Like, yeah, that was very funny. But you were great. So when it comes to Ben Lee's interview the same day, it was just like an hour afterwards, I freeze. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what to do. All my questions are stupid. For some reason, <laughs> I thought... He only had one child, which he does have one biological child, but he also has stepchildren. Yeah, Ioni Sky's children. So a lot of my questions were based off of making the decision to have only one child and living with only one child, which is not even true. And I also struggled with how do I crowbar in questions not related to being a dad? And I just felt like maybe it would be weird to just only talk about his music career which i was really interested in and i struggle with that on this pod sometimes these are moms listening maybe they don't want to hear about his discography or something which might even be a stupid thought for me to have because moms care about music too 100 percent. and so do dads which i'm hoping we've at least got one or two dads since since i have such a male presence <laughs> well we know we do and i do think that there's space for everything on this and that's what i like about this podcast and the people that we talk to so we have the foundation of you know being parents and we have that in common even if we have nothing else in common i bet we could talk forever to them just about being parents yeah however I- they have these unique things like ben lee being a child prodigy musician and it's like we can connect over different things, different interests, different skills that we have. And then for sure, there are people listening who can connect with each guest we have over something else. And another reason I froze is, although we're doing this during a pandemic, I still have a job. Yeah. So sometimes we have to squeeze these interviews into my work day. And sometimes you can only prep one or the other. So I chose to prep for Valeria. Valeria. Her too. (laughs) I'm sorry if you're listening, (laughs) Valeria. I'm very bad with names, but I totally froze. You saved the day because, as you know, if you weren't there beside me, this would be a two and a half minute interview. Oh, but the funny thing was going into it, I was like, okay, Shane, like, you know way more about Ben than I do. So I'm going to leave this one in your hands and like I'll pop in with random questions while you take the lead. And he goes, okay, sounds good, Al. And then he just kind of gives me this look after three minutes. And I'm like, oh, f, f. like I have to, I really have to go forward with this. Well, you know, I'm an anxiety riddled person and a quality I've noticed about myself is I underperform when I'm expected to overperform, <laughs> but I overperform when I'm expected to underperform. So I have a really interesting way about achieving highs and lows. Oh, I like that. That's yeah. all right. Well, we can we can work with it. We can uh, make sure everything goes well. But really great interviews, and we are so excited for you to hear them. And I just want to say that both of these interviews were conducted before the murder of George Floyd. So if you're wondering why we're not even mentioning it at all, I'm not saying we necessarily would have, but it wasn't even an option. So keep that in mind. Now let's get into the part of the podcast where we talk about our day-to-day lives, which is pretty depressing lately i guess if if you've been watching the news in case you haven't there was a man named george floyd who was brutally murdered by a police officer 
And now there's rioting going on, seemingly all over the United States. And uh, in Canada, there's protests being held, too. It's hard. Like, I don't even know calling what's going on a riot because mm-hmm. it's just all just feels like it's all one big protest and the the looting feels is a protest it's it's hard i actually was just talking to somebody i went to high school with uh because somebody else we went to high school with had made a post just shaming the riots the protests whatever and we're trying to get this person to see that it's not just a reaction to something that happened this is 400 years of built up pain and anger and sadness and inequality that has just reached such a breaking point and people don't give a shit until it impacts them directly until it impacts them directly through you know the destruction of white storefronts and that if the medium is the message Mm -hmm. it takes a lot to get that message across yeah well and it's interesting too because they they're called thugs by Donald Trump, but when the protest was about people wanting to get back to work for haircuts, and all all the stuff going on for there, all the kerfuffle that caused, no one was called a thug then. It was these are good people, these are nice people. Also, the people that stormed the government buildings in the states because they were pro gun advocates, but it was just essentially hundreds or thousands of white men storming like it, they'd be going inside a city hall with AK-47 strapped to their chests and were protesting and screaming at the cops. Right. I, I guess the, the point is when it's a white issue, it doesn't seem like they're called thugs too often. It seems like thug is a, a sneaky workaround to call a black person the N-word on the news. Or just make it so clear that this is a black person we're talking about, not a white person. Yeah. That's what I mean. It's code language. Yeah. That's the way I think of it. Or yeah. is that extreme, you think? No, no. I, I think that's a good way of looking at it. And I think people are so loose with language sometimes. And I don't think that Trump was being loose with language when he used it. I think that was very intentional. And I think he knew exactly what he was doing, which is then hard because how many young people are reading that? How many people are reading that and thinking, oh, yeah, they are thugs. That's a great word to use. You and I were walking around today, and we saw some black people. Oh, man. Yeah. And it felt weird to make eye contact. Like, I'm feeling like not, I'm feeling like not guilty. That's the wrong word, but it's closer to ashamed to be associated with these people and like to be a visible majority who is responsible for this who's who is and we you and i have talked about this throughout the week who's not doing enough right and i I think that's a part of my problem is i don't do anything typically and my big excuse is always i don't have the right words which Mm -hmm. i don't because i'm so ignorant that i don't even know what to say so i'm like huh rather than say anything wrong i might as well just be completely silent case in point you you were doing a post today and you were like can i say black mamas because you know in the pregnancy community you always refer to women as mamas but even using the word black it's like can we say that because we're so feeling so terrible for Mm -hmm. the things that have happened we don't want to say one little word out of line. Even calling them the race that they are feels bad. Like when I say, we, we saw two black guys today, that feels icky to me 
because of everything that's gone on yeah you know but, what i mean yeah i i think a lot of that for you comes from and for me too because well, you were asking me if yeah, you could say that well because i like before shane and i and lucy were all walking together it was just lou and i and we passed a black woman and her child on the same walking path said hi and kept going and i was telling shane after and like passing this woman i it was so much shame and so much embarrassment because I think it's us looking inside ourselves and realizing that, you know, you you don't say much at all. And me, especially as a teacher, I, I do say things and I, I do always try to say something. And if I ever see something going on, I will step in. But beyond that and beyond people I'm in direct contact with, I don't do enough and I don't mm-hmm. say enough, uh, especially publicly and on my platform. And I haven't included enough stories or perspectives or opinions from other women of other races and that I think in both of us just creates a deep shame and it creates a deep embarrassment and then I think after all this has happened seeing you know a black person walk by and like this black mom and her baby I think that is just like it's hard to look at them because you know that you haven't done enough mm-hmm. and you know what they go through like we're not idiots we know there's racism every single day you know, like we hear it every single day and it's just so hard to know what to want to do. And I told Shane, I was like, I just, I want to go and hug her. I just want to hug her and tell her I was sorry. Yeah. And it's like, oh, if I say hi and I'm overly con, uh, kind to her, it feels almost patronizing. But if I don't yeah. say anything, I feel like, oh, she's going to think I'm a racist. And it's like, how do we treat everybody normal when nothing normal is going on right now? It's like acting natural when you're being videotaped or something yeah you and can't do it i i think i i really truly want to talk to somebody else about this who might have more perspective because i want to know what to do in those situations yeah. and i i think that this is an incredible learning opportunity for shane and i uh not only us but for every single person listening to kind of confront your own shame and what you have done or have not done and what you can do going forward if you can take anything at all. Just know that you're probably not doing enough. And let's all take those mm-hmm. next steps together. Everybody needs a jumping off point. And I think for you wanting to say something but not knowing how to say it is a great jumping off well, point. Well, that's why I like having you here because you, you're you the the brains of this operation. You know? Well, I try to be, but it's hard when you get so emotional about something and when you know so many people are listening and every word. Because again, like you said, you don't want to say anything incorrectly because you don't want anybody who is already hurting to hurt more mm-hmm. and and some and sometimes it feels like oh it's not my story to tell but then it's like oh okay my race is writing this story and the story revolves around hatred and the i mean the perspective of what people go through is not our story to tell however we can absolutely impact that story with our behavior and how we raise our daughters yeah, and that's uh, another thing I'd like to talk to some expert about. How do we talk about race to our children? And, yeah. and you know, what's the appropriate way to talk to a two-year-old, a three-year-old, a four-year-old, et cetera? I guess well, a one-year-old's kind of too we'll dumb. We'll get to, to that a little bit in the bottom half when we get to some of our listener questions. We will talk a little bit about that. However, it will be from our limited perspectives and what we have been doing. But there is so much out there. Okay, so from one outrageous thing to 
another, I guess we're going to talk about this woman who's giving back children <laughs> or a child. Child. So we have, if you have not yet heard of Micah Stouffer, I, I, I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce her name, look her up because this is a truly fascinating and outrageous and infuriating story also. I came across this article on Facebook. Someone who's not in the mom community at all was posting about it. And I was just baffled that this was the first time I heard of her and just the magnitude of the story. So she's a mom YouTuber, mom blogger, whatever. I think she's I think she's really big on YouTube and she was like kind of big on Instagram. And she had five kids. The keyword there being had because she has just recently given up her two-year-old child that she adopted from China to a new family. And she, of course, is facing a ton of backlash right now. Uh, and it's just been this like really fascinating story to kind of pour over. Mm-hmm. Um, and Shane and I watched the video of that they initially put out, which, you know, started all this backlash, started all the news stories where it's Micah Stouffer and her husband, I don't know his name, and they're sitting there and talking about their decision to give up their kid. Yeah, and they did it in a really weird way because to get the child, you had to follow their account and tag a friend. (laughs) It was a really weird (laughs) online giveaway. What? That's funny. Thank you. <laughs> but no, but it's obviously not a funny issue, but I am a shock jock. So uh, we're going to keep that joke in there. No, absolutely. But it's this crazy situation. And it's been interesting seeing the people defending her uh, and defending her as a parent and just saying, look, it was too hard for her and she didn't know what she was getting into. So it was the best thing for her to give the child away. This child is not a dog. You're not adopting it from, you know, you're not fostering it from a rescue center or something. You don't find their forever mommy like you would find a dog's forever home. As a parent, and this is a thing with adoption, like I know Shane and I were looking into adoption just as a way, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, to kind of help me heal from my miscarriage and, you know, be okay with having another possible terminated pregnancy. So I was looking into adoption and truly, especially like in Canada from what we saw um, available, you are signing up for kids to adopt a child with potentially really difficult disabilities or exceptionalities to deal with. And that is what you are taking on when you are becoming a parent. It's no different than if you're having a kid and, you know, waiting to see what happens when you get your kid. You don't know if your kid's going to be autistic. But if you have a child and you think you can handle it and then you become overwhelmed, like, you know, a lot of adoptions, yes, the people when they're pregnant, they decide that when the child is born, they're going to give it up for adoption. But also there's a lot of adoptions where the person has the child, realizes they're overwhelmed, can't handle it, and then they give the child up for adoption. It's obviously rare for this to happen twice where someone gives it up, then somebody adopts the child, and then that person realizes they're overwhelmed and then gives it up again. This is rare. That's why it's newsworthy. But I think we have to respect the person almost in a way for making that insane decision to do that because that's got to be so hard for you to admit I'm overwhelmed I can't provide this this kid with the the care it needs I'm going to 
publicly admit, because I'm a public YouTube figure is very popular, I'm going to admit that this child I've been using in my videos and my Instagram, I'm going to give it up to a family that can properly care for the child. I think that has got to be insanely difficult and admirable in a way. And she's getting so much backlash. I will admit, I do not like something about this woman is unlikable. I don't know why, but the decision she made is brave in a way. Shane, it w- the thing is, what isn't brave and what kind of shows her her true colors in this is that she had another kid after. Okay, so she has she had five kids total. Yeah, she had the Chinese adopted kid who was I think what four years old now, and she recently had a newborn baby. If you are becoming overwhelmed, you make the choice not to have another child and you take measures to make sure that you are not going to have another child because a baby, a newborn baby is so hard to take care of. Just one. But then put that with four other biological kids and one adopted kid. There's no way. So if she was truly having a rough time, she should have taken precautions to ensure that she didn't have another child, I would assume. And then try to provide for this kid. From the research I did, they're a really well-off family. They have lots of help and nannies and things like that. Take a step back from social media. Take a step back from whatever. I think they're bread and butter social media. It doesn't matter. I know parents that have stopped their jobs entirely, whether your job is social media, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're whatever, to provide for their kids. Because if you're making the choice, and it's not like... She accidentally got pregnant and had the kid. She went out of her way, went through this huge process, went through psychological evaluations to adopt a kid. She knew what she was getting into but in a sense. from what they said, they said they didn't know. Uh, they said they were misled on the, the problems with Yeah, but with, with autism, you don't know the issues that you're going to face until the kid is around two, which is when they said the problems started okay, happening. Okay, so let's say these people miscalculated and they didn't do their due diligence but then when they get the child, what's more noble to keep the kid knowing they can't handle it or to give it up to a proper family? Like wh- where would you rather have the child Look, end up? I'm glad that the kid isn't a part of that family anymore because to me, that woman is wretched. Like mm-hmm. I just, I have no respect for her. She's wretched. And, but my, my opinion of what she should have done. But can't, can't someone make a mistake without being But why wretched. did she have another kid? Then why did she have another kid? Because here's the, here's the thing, Shane. Her new baby, who knows what's going to, you know, come out down the line, is still very young. She could, you know, approach problems of this child having autism or severe learning disabilities or something by the time this kid is two. Is she going to give this kid away? I highly doubt it. I know. And it's it's hard to admit that there is sometimes a difference the way parents view a biological child than a an adopted kid because you're supposed to say this kid's the same. It's yours. This kid, Yeah. And that's kind of the promise you make when you adopt a child is mm-hmm. I'm going to love this child as if it's my own. But some people, they miscalculate that presupposed feeling that they may be expected to have that they thought they definitely would have. And then all of a sudden they realize they're not having it. So to just call someone wretched to me, it's like, we have to understand that the reason some kids go up for adoption is this very same reason. And we would never call that initial a parent who put up the mm-hmm. kid wretched because we know yeah. we, we tend to understand it more if someone's in a dire financial position. Yeah. 
and we we don't take into account certain mental problems if a person's very well off and they give up a child for adoption and it's like wait you have three kids why would you give up the next kid and then have another one i know but i i know that seems weird too and i'm i am in in a way here playing devil's advocate to have an interesting conversation No, no, no this is good but anyhow i just i don't think that it was a smart move for them to have a kid then get rid of this one it's not fair and I saw in the comment section, guys, this is an Instagram comment section, by the way. So this could be total BS. But somebody said that when she was still working as a nurse before her social media took off, she attacked a pregnant woman. And then they gave me a link to read an article or see photos of it. I didn't click the link because it was in a comment section. I was like, ooh, maybe it's just going to bring me to dick pics or something. But I mean, we could click it together and then see, see what it is. But well, apparently maybe. she's not a good person and well you don't know that pregnant woman might have been a little unstable as <laughs> as i've heard sometimes pregnant women can be a little unwieldy well i am so against present company yeah, excluded yeah, yeah. <laughs> i am uh so against judging people especially judging mothers however uh, how- she's a wretched woman <laughs> well let me get to the however however uh i just cannot not feel nauseated by this woman and what she's doing and it just it totally makes me sick but it's a I hell am- of a pickle i just try to think how many mistakes i've made in my life how how hard that must have been for them to do because well, this Shane, this kid in a sense too them being social media influencers they use this kid as a bit of a cash cow they too they did use them as cash cow so it, it must have been uh, such a, a hard decision on so many levels, to say the least. And you see this woman in her emotion, although I do find her unlikable, I don't think she's faking all that emotion. I think it's, it's okay, I don't think it's faked. I obviously think that she cared for this boy, and I think that she is sad to make this decision. However, I do think it's easy to muster up a lot of raw emotion when you are essentially coming clean about something publicly to possibly millions of people. Speaking of mustard. Well, I just I just want to say that like, yeah, I am happy to go kind of Howard Stern on her and just like not like her and be open about that. But I am very interested to know what anybody else has to say. So if you guys DM me, let me know your thoughts on it. And if you can understand what Alex meant by go Howard Stern on her, please DM me and <laughs> let me know what she meant by that because I have no idea. But I guess she can tell me off mic. I just want her to flash her tits. Alex, <laughs> what is happening? What a wild podcast we have that's why we have the best parenting podcast there is um but let's get to our first interview with it's valeria first let's go for, no, let's go valeria first <laughs> all right we are going to go to our interview with valeria lipovetsky but first we are supported by bravado designs speaking of support The only bra I bought postpartum was from Bravado Designs. It worked so well, I loved it so much that I didn't even look around for another brand. What worked so well about it? It was comfortable. Mm -hmm. Do you know how painful breastfeeding can get? I've heard rumors. (laughs) (laughs) It was the only thing that I felt happy about keeping on my body other than the shirt over my back. Also, so easy to use. I can't even fiddle with a cover blanket because... 
I don't know how to work those things. And I am so excited to be able to recommend Bravado Designs not only to my friends who are nursing and in postpartum, but to everybody because they just came out with an everyday collection. So there's no clips. These are not nursing bras. And now all of my girlfriends can get the feeling of their boobs being snuggled and it is the best thing ever. But this collection's only available through their Canadian site, which is ca.bravadodesigns.com. But for everything else, I guess you can get it on either site. Yes, you got it. And use this family tree 20 at the checkout. And that 20 gets you 20% off. It's a big deal. And do you know what else is a big deal? Valeria Lipovetsky? Exactly. Enjoy the interview. Hello. Hi, Hi there. How's it going? Hi, good. How are you guys? We are so good. We are so happy to have you on today, Valeria. Thank you so much for joining our podcast. Oh, thank you. Are we doing a video? Is that what we're doing? We, it's up to you. We don't we know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we never know. So we're always ready for video on our end. And then up to you guys. I learned my lesson. Well, yeah, you always have to be ready for video. Yeah. You've already done a hair tutorial this morning. Yeah, you're exactly. already on the ball. <laughs> I knew it. I scheduled them early. So this, you know, will be all set up. That's fantastic. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us today. To everyone listening, this is Valeria Lipovetsky. So I first found you, Valeria. I only started uh, getting out there on Instagram and in social media a couple of years ago. And I was in, what do you call it? I was in an issue okay. <laughs> of Mother Muse. <laughs> and... I became so fascinated with Mother Muse and you were on the cover of one of those issues and I was like, who is this woman? And then I found you and I started looking into your Instagram, your YouTube and was so amazed because not only are you just some, you know, beautiful mom of three on Instagram, but you are a tour de force. You do so, so much. And I, I want to know how you would describe yourself or your job title to those listening. That's a fun question. Well, first of all, thank you so much for all your kind words. That's so sweet. How would I describe myself? Uh, I feel like I would describe myself as a content creator, kind of a lifestyle. And I don't even know. I feel like I'm just documenting, trying to figure it out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I just think, you know, having, I mean, motherhood is such a big aspect, obviously, of my life. So being a mother of three and a content creator, I feel like, that kind of wraps up everything with what I do and an entrepreneur. But it's been, um, yeah, I feel like it's hard. It's hard for me to like put a, you know, a pin on it. So jack of all trades. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was watching or sorry, I was listening to a podcast interview you did and you said it took you three days to edit a 10 minute video. And to me, I'm an editor. I thought that's not actually that long because every video takes me so long to edit. And just to put it into context, I, I direct and edit commercials. So mm -hmm. a 30 second commercial sometimes can take me a week before I get all the elements just right and the graphics and the music and the timing. So yeah. you, you're doing so much content. How do you manage all the editing and shooting and planning that goes into it? And you're a mom of three at 28 mm -hmm. years old. Well, uh, thank you. 29. 29. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, 
But okay, first I wanted to mention that when I said that I'm editing, it takes me three days to edit a 10 minute video. The quality of that video is by no means even close to the 30 second commercial you might be working on. Right. <laughs> and if you go back to the beginning of my content, you will see it's very cringe worthy, but that was my beginning and I'm very proud of it. At this point, I've been doing this for about three and a half years now. And um, um, at this point, I have a team behind me that is making you know content creation possible. So Valeria Inc. is actually a media company now. We have about 15 employees. Oh, wow. um, we have four people that are doing editing. And this is everything, every piece of content that I create, raw footage, I send it to them. And then, you know, everything kind of gets funneled into a different mm -hmm. platform and edited accordingly. So I don't really do editing anymore, unless it's more of like, quick little like smoothie yeah. videos and stuff. I right. still can do them because I do them on my phone. But otherwise, now I have people that, you know, giving me the time and the space to really focus on creating content and really researching and, um, you know, getting those creative juices flowing. Because mm -hmm. when you do everything, yeah. so difficult to, you know, really find the time to try to juggle it all. And especially when you're really trying to grow and build a business, a sustainable business out of it. Yep. Uh, and obviously then you raising kids and mm -hmm. have a family. That's a whole other business on its own. No kidding. So I feel like from, you know, once I've decided and I look to this opportunity as something that I see myself doing for the long run and just really focusing on building a sustainable business, I really realized that I need to focus on my strength and I have to surround myself with people that, um, you know, have their strengths that are my weaknesses. Mm -hmm. right. And that's kind of the winning formula for me. And that's how we grew to be a company of about 15 people now. Yeah, speaking of that growth, so you said your first video was cringeworthy, but it must have had something that just people really gravitated towards because your growth was so quick and so big so soon. What do you attribute that to? So... Actually, again, um, I'm going to give you, I'm going to uh, tell the real story. Yeah. When I started <laughs> YouTube, it was, first of all, I started social media from a very like a place of trying to figure out myself. It was more of like a journey of putting myself out of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize at that point that, you know, YouTube was its own animal and you can really build a business and create something there. I thought that it was literally, you know, cat videos and music videos. So when I started going into YouTube and finding all these creators, I was like, wow, that's interesting. So at that point, I was kind of in like a fork on my road because I was I just finished my nutrition studies and I thought that I'm going to open a practice and see people. And I've realized that it didn't really satisfy kind of, you know, my need to put information out there and to help people. Mm -hmm. And that's what brought me on YouTube. So when I started YouTube, I actually started with recipe videos that no one cared about. By the way, <laughs> yeah, I had like. 10 views mm -hmm. and it was but again for me it wasn't like oh let me you know get a big audience it was more like okay I have to you know build that courage and I have to build my um you know get over my insecurities of my language and my accent and my grammar and just really put myself out there and 
once I started doing that, YouTube is a great platform because it has algorithm that kind of pushes you to people that don't know you. Yeah. And that's how they get, you know, you get introduced to them. So I did get a little bit of traction. Like when I say a little bit, maybe 50 people watch my videos. But to me, I was like 50 strangers yeah, that's watching amazing. my weird ass videos. <laughs> that is so interesting. So I think that at that point, I was like, okay, I got to keep moving keep doing yeah. it and then my husband came up to me he's like listen i like i love your recipes they're great but you're also you know you're a girl you come from fashion you've been around beauty your whole life why don't you do something that you know has kind of a bigger audience too why mm-hmm. don't you try beauty and that's when it started so right. when i started right. doing makeup tutorials which again are so awkward i'm putting an eyeshadow for 40 minutes one <laughs> eyeshadow for 40 minutes um, that's when I started getting traction. And that's when I was like, okay, I got to keep experimenting. I got to start bringing more subjects, things mm-hmm. that are, you know, kind of decide where my pillars are and start bringing different content and see what catches. Right. I think because I was so, I was open-minded and mm-hmm. I was open to experimenting and I wasn't set on being like, no, this is my brand. I only do nutrition. Yeah. Because of that, I, and consistency, that's how kind of I grew fast, mm-hmm. I feel. So going from those early stages of a kind of figuring yourself out to now Valeria Inc., which mm-hmm. is huge, and like you employ 15 people, that's, that's insane. So how many hours a week do you find that you're putting into that? Because not only do you do all the social media aspects, but you have Leia by Valeria, right? The jewelry mm-hmm. line. So how many hours a week are you putting into everything? For us, I feel like we're very focused on the content because we understand that the content is really right now what drives everything. Mm-hmm. And yeah, is definitely a passion project. And right now we're, you know, we're looking for kind of an e-commerce person, again, to find someone that is capable and understands the, the grand vision that we have and can come in and start running Leia. But Leia right now is a little bit on a, on a pause. Like okay. I'm not doing what I usually do when I'm really passionate about something. Yeah. Is that because of quarantine right now? Yeah, it's just very difficult. And, you know, I don't like to do 50% of a project. Mm -hmm. I am like, I'm either doing it or we're not doing it. So right now we're kind of on a pause and we're looking for the right team members for that. But uh, and reinvesting in the company. But so I feel like for us, we know that, you know, the most important thing is as a content creator is content. So we're putting everything towards that. So, you know, at this point, the way I structure my schedule is I have you know, schedule just like any job kind of from nine to five. And um, I make sure that, you know, my kids are busy during that time. It's obviously a little more flexible right now Mm -hmm. because we're at home. But most I I would say that I'm shooting four to five times um, Mm -hmm. during the week. And that's like, let's say today, I did this live. And then I have you guys, which is such a nice little, you know, (laughs) break, like just me and my camera. Um, Then I'm going to go in and shoot about three other pieces of content that are short form, and then the rest is research. So I just make sure that I have that balance between, you know, researching, planning, and then execution. Mm -hmm. Um, But honestly, it's all about scheduling. And I also have a producer who is great and who is helping me to really structure everything to make sure that we're ahead of the game rather than like trying to keep up. Well, your producer does a great job. In fact, I was watching one of your videos today with your your son and he was talking about how he wanted to be a youtuber as well and he was he was like a funny little interview process which i i thought was great but uh, i think about this all the time because i'm in video creation and i'm a director for a living 
I'm hoping one day my daughter is into video production, but I'm trying to find that balance of how do I make her screen time not so crazy that she has no attention span, but not limit it so much that she's not even into the the medium. Like, how do how do you do that? Honestly, I don't have the answer for you. <laughs> um, you know what? I think that I think that for us, what we do at home in general is we really involve the children in our business. Like mm-hmm. we talk about our business and about all these things around them. And sometimes like even Jake and Jake has kind of more, um, my, my eldest has a little more inclination towards it because he's more like of the creative type from mm-hmm. what I see right now. So he kind of picks up on this and he'll sometimes come up and be like, so how's the video doing? How's the CPM? <laughs> like, he, you can't, you know, That's they, so they understand. Yeah. Um, and I think that for him, because he sees both the kind of fun aspect of it when we go out and we shoot and we do fun things and we shoot it. And then he also sees kind of the behind the scenes. He sees like the result, if that makes sense. Right. right? Like when he came up and presented as this business plan, he's like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to shoot myself playing games and then I'm going to do whatever schoolwork and then people are going to watch me because I'm not going to say any bad words. So, you know, like for yeah. him, it all kind of clicked from all directions. So he actually typed all that out for real? That business he did. plan? He had, yeah, wow. he typed. He had a template though. Like obviously mm-hmm. he didn't yeah. do point or whatever. He did a template. And I mean, also there's like kind of the autocorrect thing. So there, a lot of the spelling is uh, cleaned out. But yep. yeah, he was like, he had a whole, Amazing. you know, a full thing going. But it's him specifically that just kind of saw all these different aspects of it and something grabbed him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he's still like all the other kids. Like he has this game. I don't know if you guys heard of it. It's called Roblox. No, we we are like so like our daughters too so we know oh, okay. nothing about games <laughs> yeah. okay so there's this game now it's literally just like the man of my existence like i don't even know <laughs> how to make it disappear my kids are obsessed with it it's basically like the sims but in a more like not as sophisticated if that makes sense right. so yeah. my kids are just like sitting and playing and living in a virtual world and now they're obsessed with it so mm-hmm. you know they do get addicted and obviously us as parents it's our job kind of to be in tune with what's happening and when it's time to mm-hmm. stop so but it's always it's always this like game of push and pull how much right. to expose how much to but at it's the hard. end of the day for me the most important thing is to really teach them how to use social media mm-hmm. and the internet rather than trying to keep them away from it yeah because it's not going anywhere yeah um, and i don't want my kids to be behind and feel weird once they're going to go out there and be like oh there's all these things yeah so many jobs it's a tricky balance and yeah. i'm always wondering when is the time to join instagram i'm sure but when my daughter's old enough, Instagram won't even be a thing. It'll be TikTok or the new application. But when is an okay time for a child to join these applications where it's not totally inappropriately early, but it's also not so late where they're feeling left behind? I mean, I feel like I can just talk from my personal point of view, but I by no means have an understanding of the full scope of mm-hmm. you know what's happening with um you know psychology and kids and technology and i feel like no one really knows we keep Mm -hmm. hearing all these things and there's new research coming out all the time but um i mean my kids are not on instagram well i mean i found out that gary opened instagram accounts for them but they're private no one uses (laughs) them yeah i saw that 
Um, yeah. So, but, you know, I do let them do TikTok because to me, I see, you know, the benefit of them being creative and yeah. learning how to edit videos and coming up with like different concepts and skits. So to me, um, that's a benefit enough to give them to use it, but it's private. So yeah. they don't, it's not an open account. And I think that, you know, right now I monitor everything and they can't do anything without our approval. So they're too young, in my opinion. My son is seven. But I don't know when it's it's weird because it changes all the time, like with cell phones, right? I remember kids used to get cell phones when they were like 14. I got my cell phone. I was like 14. Yeah. Same. And now like my kids already have cell phones. It's wow. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Because grandma bought them. She thought it was yeah. crazy. <laughs> but it's crazy what they expect to. And but you're so right about it being such a good medium for them to be able to learn creativity and, you know, learn how to direct themselves, time manage, because then what? regardless of what they get into, they can bring those skills to so many things. And Mm -hmm. one thing I was really uh, interested in asking you, so your husband Gary works for Valeria Mm -hmm. Inc. And Mm -hmm. unless things have changed, the last I heard was that you guys both work in creative together. Now, Shane and I work together for this podcast and he helps me manage my account as well Mm -hmm. as parenting, as well as being quarantined together. And it's a lot of stuff so I was wondering from your perspective because we get it every day the pros and cons of working so closely with your spouse so at first Gary officially kind of moved into Valeria Inc I would say probably a year and a half two years ago Mm -hmm. and uh, that's when you know we saw a big opportunity and he kind of has a lot of the business um, and knowledge from an experience that I don't have. And I really Mm -hmm. wanted to make sure that I focus on creative. So he moved in and we started building this infrastructure. It was very difficult at first because I'm supposed to be the creative type. So whenever he had any suggestions, I'll be like, you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) You don't understand. No beauty. Not female age 18 to 20. (laughs) You know, so it was always this kind of, it will always buy the heads. But I feel like slowly we realized, you know, now I feel like we're in a good place because we've realized where is each person kind of has uh, their strengths. So mm-hmm. Gary really started moving away from being so much in the creative. But whenever he has suggestions, he will go to a team member that's Smart. part of the creative mm-hmm. team, right? And then kind of like suggest something. Mm-hmm. And then we as a creative team can talk about it. That started just being much easier for me and yeah. for him to communicate also. But in general, I feel like we're both our, you know, entrepreneurs, and we are very passionate about our business. And it's, it's a wonderful thing to have in common, I have mm-hmm. to say, because I never grew up in a household that, you know, both parents were doing this thing, and they were passionate about they're building it together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you have that, it's just, there's, there's like, there's a vibe in the house, you know, Absolutely. where you're both working for this, like, goal, and you both are growing together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I think that that's a huge positive and I love that the kids see us collaborating, discussing, you know, different, you know, partnerships and, and ideas and developments. And um, I enjoyed that. The cons, of course, yeah, you get on each other's nerves and you want to just like, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I feel like, again, when you're constantly faced with these kind of arguments, you just, 
you learn to communicate better. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's where I don't know if our marriage would have gone to this point this fast if it wasn't for us working together mm-hmm. every day because it really put us into mm-hmm. this like fast course of like right. figuring out ways yeah. to handle each other, how to communicate better and just being open and honest. Um, what do so- you mean this point this fast? What do you mean by that? I think the first 10 years of a marriage is like you still you don't really know each other. So especially if there's kids in the mix as well. Right. It's Mm -hmm. like you move from being this like even if you traveled and you've been together for a while, this is you as like two young people, pre-kids. And then you bring kids to the mix and, you know, we change like every year. I'm a different person. Um, He's a different person. And uh, and I feel like sometimes it's so easy to get distracted by all these things that are going around if it's career and kids and your own self evolution Mm -hmm. that you kind of lose that connection. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that, you know, because we are so like our lives are very much integrated together. If it's the business and kids and everything, we're very much like growing together. He knows what going through at all points. Like when I'm stressed, he understands where it's from and how, you know, we both can sit and talk about it where, you know, there are relationships that unless you really, really work on communication, Mm -hmm. you know, a wife or a husband comes home and they're stressed and they're like, they don't want to talk about it with their partner. So their partner doesn't really know what's happening, what's going on. Or if they do share, they're like, oh, you don't understand. You you don't know how this works. So I feel like this has really been, you know, we've been married for about nine years now. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. That's exciting. July. (laughs) You think July. We've been married for four, four oh. years this August mm-hmm. together for five. Yeah. So, okay, so and the thing, like the thing is like we started dating in, mm-hmm. you know, July of one summer. We got engaged six months later and then we got married three months after that, had a kid the next year and now we're pregnant with our second. So completely get what you mean by that. And I found that just working with Shane, we have mm-hmm. been able to grow and learn how to communicate not just to each other, but for me as an adult, because I suck at communicating, like terrible mm-hmm. at it. So this has helped so much for me, I think. Yeah. So you got married at 20? I wa- We got married at 21. Right. I, I was 21. He mm-hmm. was not 21. <laughs> <laughs> so do you feel right now, you're, you're only 29, as you mentioned, and you have three yeah. children. Do you feel much older than 29? Like you've already accomplished so much <laughs> in your career and with your family. Like, do you feel like 40? I feel, yeah, I actually do. I do feel 40. Um, but I also, f- I started life so young Mm -hmm. um, and not by choice it's just like I feel like that was just like kind of my path Mm -hmm. I left home so early and I just I feel like everything in my life is cramped so I feel like this is already my third like cycle on this planet you know I'm just like hey I know what's going on Mm -hmm. let's keep moving so for me was um, yeah everything just kind of happened fast and uh, is that the norm with Russian culture uh I mean, it was the norm and not just with Russian culture. I feel like in general, Middle Eastern, like in general, Mm -hmm. people used to get married and have kids much younger. My mom had me at 19. Uh, But when I got married and when I had kids, I mean, all my friends, they were like, what the hell are you doing? It definitely wasn't a norm. Um, and I mean, most of my friends just now kind of getting married mm-hmm. and having kids. So uh, I was definitely kind of ahead of the game. But I also felt like 
it's not that I felt like I was ready. I just, I knew that when I met Gary, I just, I knew that this is it. Absolutely. it prompted the next 10 years of my life. <laughs> I, I have a question about time because I find creatively when I'm working on a creative project and I work in the creative field and then my side hustles a creative job, time goes by so much faster yeah. and it's so much more fun and addicting and difficult in a way that I sometimes forget that, oh, I also have to be a parent and I, I need to shut off and I can forget to do that because I can get caught in an edit for 10 hours longer than I, uh, I'm assuming. Before I know it, it's midnight and I haven't spent enough time with my daughter. I'm wondering, how do you find the time to shut off? And how do you do that? Um, yeah, you know what? I'll tell you something that I used to believe in the word balance. I used to think that there's this thing, you find it mm-hmm. and you just do it every single day. And this is it, mm-hmm. you have balance for the rest of your life. And it took me a lot of like really frustrating, a lot of tears, a lot of moments of just like, I can't do this to realize that balance is constantly shifting and constantly moving. And every day my balance looks different. Mm -hmm. So on days where I'm completely immersed in my job and I absolutely can't, you know, take myself away, I let myself do it. I don't do the guilt. I don't do any of that. I really let myself get consumed by it. And I can tell Gary, and that's another great thing. You know, when you have a partner that understands what you do, I can be like, you know what, Gary, today, like I'm in the zone. Like I need my day to just get it done. And he'll, he'll let me and he understands it. And then the next day I'll know that, you know what, maybe this morning it's going to be a little lighter and I'm going to hang out with the kids. So I feel like every day it's a little bit, okay, today I'm going to get 80 to my job, 20 to the Mm -hmm. family, and then tomorrow will be 50 and 50. And then, so I think it's really all about being aware enough and, you know, intuitive enough to understand uh, when it's time to give yourself that space and when, you know, it's time to kind of shift it towards another area in your life. Well, yeah, I I just find, especially during this quarantine, you're I'm always chasing the balance whether it's through mm-hmm. a schedule or something else and the schedule has helped me a ton but you never reach it to a satisfactory point and then I'm always left feeling either guilty for not hanging out with my daughter guilty for putting something on the back burner guilty for not having posts ready to go or not enough photos taken something like that and mm-hmm. I really like that because that's like balance on a macro scale not mm-hmm. on the micro daily tasks, but looking at everything and saying, yeah. okay, if I get a ton done today, this one project off my mind, the stress is mm-hmm. gone for when I do hang out with my family, spend time for me tomorrow. Yeah, and you are still finding the balance. I guess the, the problem mm-hmm. is when you never take the, your foot off the gas pedal <laughs> and you just mm-hmm. always go and you never have that relaxing day. Mm-hmm. And I find that's what I need to do. Just set aside that time when I'm actually decompressing and just saying, this is the time I hang with my daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like sometimes, you know, I mean, that's how I was before quarantine. I would say I was on autopilot. Yeah. I was just like, get it done, 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 done. And it took me, you know, this to happen, um, to slow down and to have that day or a week or two weeks to starting to reflect and being like, okay, I have no idea what I did in the last like six months of my life. I was just like running. 
So I feel like that's where, you know, that kind of awareness and, and yes, yeah, scheduling and make, give yourself, start by giving yourself that day of mm-hmm. literally not doing anything to start reflecting and looking like, okay, how can I really optimize this better? Yeah. Uh, because yeah, I mean, in reality, it's not sustainable what you're no. doing now, mm-hmm. right? But, but yeah, I mean, it took me a while to look at the situation and be like, okay, how am I making this work for my life and my lifestyle and my family? So, but yeah, I mean, listen, being a grown up is so much work. It's I so know. hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's so hard. I know. But do you, do you find that you have avoided burning out or do you think like with this kind of macro level balance or do you think that, you know, you could still get to the point where you feel like you're starting to burn out and then you need to stop? Um, yes, I still have it. I feel like it's, it's inevitable, especially if you have your own business and mm-hmm. everything kind of on your depends on, you know, how much you work and how much you produce to keep it going. So I think burnout is inevitable. I think the secret is to really being able to identify when you're reaching that 80% capacity, yeah. not to reach that a hundred percent. And that took me, you know, it took it over to happen to me over and over and over and over again until I realized that like, Oh, this is the sweet spot. So actually this weekend, like last week was insane for me. And I told my team, I was like, I produced enough content. I'm like, you can schedule it out and I'm off the grid. And this weekend I did nothing. My phone was upstairs and I was just outside. I was reading, I was doing nothing. And, um, and that's it. And I feel refreshed, but I, at this point know how to identify this 80%. And sometimes I slip because sometimes there's things that I just can't say no to. Yeah. Um, But then, you know, the universe teaches me once again that I just need to to go back to what I know (laughs) to do. Exactly. No, Valeria, there's just one more question I want to ask. I've heard you speaking a lot about like in former interviews and things like that, the importance of coming out of your comfort zone. And Mm -hmm. I think that that can be applied not just to creative work, but to parenthood, just for yourself. So for you, what... Mm -hmm what is the most important part of that? And how can other moms maybe apply it to their own lives? I think that it's honestly, for me, in motherhood, going out of my comfort zone is was and still is unlearning Mm -hmm. everything that I grew up with, or, you know, the expectations um, that just, I guess, the conditioning that I had growing up. So um, I think that a lot of the times we, we're so not aware of, you know, this, if it was limiting beliefs or things that our parents did with us that we take it was like, this is the way the world is. And Mm -hmm. this is it. So for me coming out of my comfort zone is to really break all those ideas that I was raised with, because not that it wasn't good enough, but this is what my parents did, because that's what they knew. But you know, now I understand that I have the luxury of just knowing more and Mm -hmm. not making not even the the same mistakes, but just like giving my kids more in a way of freedom and the way of like, you know, giving them their space to be who they are, not trying to tell them who they are, uh, not trying to mold them into what I think they should be. So this is very much of like a daily practice for me Mm -hmm. out of my comfort zone when it comes to parenting. Yeah. Um, So I feel like, I don't know, whatever makes you feel like, is this (laughs) Is this the right way? Is this not? Am I ruining them? Am I messing them up? That's, you know, a constant uh, kind of daily ritual that I do with myself. But um, I would say that that's kind of that. No, that's that's great. And I I think we do all mess them up to a degree. 
But it's just, oh, you know, what, what degree is that going to be if they're, you know, loving people, if they're kind, if they're doing what they love, then I think that we are doing the best that we can. And I just have one more yeah. question quickly. Uh, I was just because <laughs> I was watching your video and you were saying how you were going to be sad when the quarantine is over. And obviously some people are yeah. dying to get back. And I'm more in the camp like you are yes. where I'm like, I'm going to be missing this home time and this kind of things I've developed, new mm -hmm. habits and new ways of doing things I've realized. Like um, mm -hmm. I've realized I might not need to go into my office five days a week. Is there anything that you are going to, any habits you've developed now that you're going to establish moving forward when we're out of quarantine? I honestly haven't, I haven't thought that far because I secretly hope that, I mean, no, I'm not even going to say it out loud. I, definitely <laughs> I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah, this is not a good place to be at. Like, obviously, in the world, I want everyone yeah. to go back to work, to be mm -hmm. able to, you know, um, earn Except a living and everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but um, I think it's just, I don't know. It, I love the fact that even though I'm busy and I'm working, the fact that my kids know that I'm upstairs. Yeah. And if they have this, like, completely useless story to tell me, they can just, like, burge in and tell me that. <laughs> like, I honestly... I've never valued it as much as I value it today. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how I'll be able to maintain that. I think that for me, you know, right now, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like maybe the one thing that I'll do is not go to the office every single day, but mm -hmm. have maybe twice a week where I'm working from home and just doing yeah. this. Well, you're the boss. Um, you get to make the rules. That's so that's true. good for you. Uh, yeah, I guess I just don't want you know people are like sitting being like so is Valeria coming today or not right, like, yeah. respect um, I obviously want to set a, a certain tone to how I want the company to True. be running but um, yeah I think that maybe that's the one habit that I will try to really implement um, but otherwise I feel like yeah I feel like that's it I feel like the biggest thing during this time was just the shift of uh, you know being at home with the kids because mm -hmm. to be honest I was very I was very scared of it like same it with us anxious. yeah yeah I was just like I don't know if I can handle like all day with them and you know just I don't know I was scared that it's gonna you know turn into just like screaming 24 like 7 yeah. exactly. um, it was there was a period where we're like <laughs> yeah the first but, two weeks probably were the hardest Mm -hmm. yeah the first week was like oh my god this is right it was a vacation <laughs> we're gonna have projects let's do a science experiment mm -hmm. um and then the next two weeks were just like mm -hmm. watch tv yeah exactly that's that's kind of um, where we're yeah. at but no we're the, we're the same like i'm just i'm eight months pregnant and we have our daughter and we're both working so it was scary at first to kind of take it all on but mm -hmm. we do feel we feel the same as you mm -hmm. like we're we're enjoying this too much, maybe. But Valeria, if people want to see more of you, if they want to hear more about you, see your videos, where can they find you at? Uh, thank you. I am on YouTube at Valeria Lipovetsky, on Instagram, Valeria Lipovetsky, on TikTok, Valeria Lipovetsky. <laughs> oh. I'm everywhere. <laughs> that's um, the best. Yeah. Yes, awesome. But that, that's it. Thank you guys so much. Thank it was such you a so much. Nice Absolutely. Out. Thank you so much for joining us. All Have right, a great you have rest a good of your day. day. Bye. You too, bye. Bye-bye. And meeting. How do you feel about that, Alex? That was so much fun. Yeah, I've sorry been... if I uh, took over too much. I know that was more of a you guess, but I get excited sometimes with these digital media celebrities. No, no, I love it. And I, I like the energy that you brought through your interest. But you 
were so into it and popped in with so many questions. Sometimes I just uh, get a little overzealous. And then <laughs> then there's the flip side of that where I almost freeze and shit my pants, which is what you're about to witness right now or hear, <laughs> not not actual shitting, but you're going to hear me freeze and Alex kind of take over for me. And uh, I'm not proud of my skills in this interview, but I am very proud of my wife, Alex, for helping her nervous husband out. So without further ado, I'll say it. <laughs> you just burped in my mouth as I said that. I'm sorry. I know. And that's like the third time. Okay. So without further ado, Ben Lee. Hello. Hey, Ben. This is Alex and Shane of This Family Tree Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. No problem. So we are so excited to have you on as you know, an illustrious musician and actor, and according to PETA, the world's sexiest vegetarian of 2008. Well, I feel like a lot of that kind of thing was defined before Wikipedia had more stringent rules for fact-checking. <laughs> oh, is that not is that true? <laughs> well, you know, I'm not a vegetarian, and um, I mean, there there is a segment, a niche segment of society that finds me sexy. <laughs> but to say world's sexiest, that, that, that's a stretch. I've never uh, attempted to appeal to totally to the mainstream, you know? Here's the thing. It did, it did mention that you are a pescatarian. Is that true? I'm flexible, you know? Like, I, it, it's always shifted, my diet and my attitude about that stuff. Well, there goes the rest of my interview yeah. questions. <laughs> this, this, was, this was mostly a PETA interview, darn. But we have been talking to quite a few people under quarantine. We're finding people are very easy to get a hold of, which is one advantage when you have a podcast during this time. But I'm wondering, as a touring musician, somebody who's used to being out on the road, is quarantine and being in the situation we're in kind of like a welcome reprieve, or are you just losing your mind right now? I mean, I, you know... The bulk of my touring has always occurred in Australia, which is not, it's not the type of touring where you do it year round. It's a small country in that sense. So I'm not on the road a lot of the year or anything like that. I'm more have like lots of different collaborations and projects and they've all just continued. So there's obviously been challenges to do with family life and homeschooling kids and all that sort of thing. But I, and I miss playing live. I miss playing live. Like, yeah. for instance, there's a, there's a venue in LA called Largo that I play at a lot, and I've missed those experiences. But, yeah, it's not like a an everyday sort of part of my identity that I'm like, oh, my God, who am I now? I can't do <laughs> it. I mean, once you get into your 40s, you've, like, well and truly addressed that, hopefully, you know. Right. Um, right now, I know you have uh, one daughter and you have stepchildren. Now, how many children are in the home with you right now? Yeah, just the two, my, my daughter and my stepdaughter. Right, and how is that, uh, like, I was always thinking that maybe if there's two siblings, it might be easier to occupy the time right now, but with the age discrepancy, are you finding that they're having trouble adjusting to this quarantine? Yeah, they absolutely are having trouble. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I I kind of look at it in terms of um, that's a really healthy response. Right. I think anyone that had a sort of seamless acceptance of this would be very weird mm-hmm. um, to, you know, particularly if you love humans and love, yeah. you know, right. just love connecting with people and are affectionate, which are all like healthy qualities. So I haven't really looked at it in terms of like, oh man, these these kids are so problematic. They should be, you know, like I, I see their struggles as being very um, 
very appropriate. You mentioned homeschooling and what you're doing right now during that quarantine period. Was that kind of like a natural transition for you to start helping out with? Are you helping out with that or are they kind of handling it on their own? Our daughter's only two, so... Yeah, well, I mean, the 18-year-old, you know, she graduated like a week ago. Um, So she was more just tidying up. I mean, look, senior year in America seems like a big goof anyway, like from what (laughs) I can tell you. In Australia, it's different because you have your sort of tests at the very end of senior year. Mm -hmm. So it makes senior year quite intense study-wise. But here, like, she's already accepted into the college she wants to go to. And so it's a bit different. She's also more introverted, so for her, hiding out in her room, and it, it was a bit more, it suited her. Um, the little one, yeah, she kind of needs someone sitting by her while she's working. It's yeah. been, um, that's been interesting. You kind of thought that, like, oh, yeah, once the Zoom school starts, we'll have all this time to ourselves, <laughs> but it's, like, it's not like that at all. No, it's crazy. But I'm a high school teacher, so I uh, get that side of it completely from the teacher's perspective, too, and it's so hard to wrangle the kids, and without the help from any parents, it would be absolutely impossible. So it's like everybody just working from a totally chaotic perspective and home. Um, but one thing I was really excited to ask you about, because this is a family podcast, and you are a touring musician. So were you touring when you had your daughters in your life, or did you kind of slow it down by the time they got here? Look, it's continued to some degree, but I think like, you know, when I was single before I had kids and stuff, you know, I would tour nine months out of the year. Yeah. Just, it's almost like you just keep it going because why not? It's, mm-hmm. it's nice to know there's another tour book. Yeah. But um, I think also my interest became, you know, a lot more to do with, um, I, I didn't really like, like I love playing live, but I didn't like the sort of limitations in terms of my time that focusing on touring would would bring and I started doing more like writing and and collabs and producing and scoring TV and you know all mm-hmm. different types of like I just see it as like creating sort of all all musical experiences just being a creator of those is sort of what I really love and I do, I, I find that if I'm on tour too much aside from just being homesick for my family mm-hmm. it, it it boxes me in a little bit you know Absolutely. like I like to be able to I like to be able to just answer the phone when there's like an interesting call and say, yeah, I'll meet you right now. Let's do something. Like mm-hmm. there's a certain freedom in my lifestyle creatively that's really enjoyable. Does it ever come like when you get the opportunity to tour since having your kids and having your family, is it ever like kind of a relief to go and take that time for yourself and do what you love and be around new people? Yeah, well, it certainly has become more like – um They've been more like writing retreats when mm-hmm. I go on tour now. Like, I just stay in the hotel room and I write because that uninterrupted quiet time and zone out time, it's like you don't get that as much as a parent. I would love that. Yeah, so for me, it's been less about like meeting new people as it has been about um, just uninterrupted time to sort of zone out and create. Mm-hmm. Right. And you work with Josh Radner. Now, I understand that you met him on the set of How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. That's true. That's how you met your Radner. Yes. Right. That's true. Yeah, he um, they used a song of mine in a in an episode, and the creators invited me down because I liked the show, and um, we met that day, and he'd happened some songs of mine on his iPod at that time, you know, and we bonded. And so you guys became fast friends, and you've been in a music partnership for the past three years. 
Yeah, something about that. Maybe mm. a little longer even. Um, yeah, it's been, look, it's been a um, developing thing. I think with collaborations, they're very mysterious because sometimes they have like a hot moment where like mm-hmm. the vibe is there and the creativity and then it disappears and other times it's a longer unfolding and this has been, you know, we've now made two albums together and it's cool. Like it's kind of fun seeing where it's going. And you were a solo artist for so long. Is that challenging to move into kind of sharing the ball a little bit more with a duo? Yeah, well, I think about like five years ago, I started realizing that it's almost like the pressure and not even the pressure, but the amount of control you can exercise as a solo artist, it was almost becoming boring Mm -hmm. to me. And I started kind of seeking out these experiences with very strong personalities. And like I did collaborations with... Lena Dunham, and I wrote a musical with the author Tom Robbins, and worked with Jill Sobule and Daniel Johnston, and none of these people are wallflowers, and none of them oh, are yeah. very, like, compromising, you know, these are, like, strong artistic individuals, and for me, and Josh, similarly, and for me, it almost felt like it was balancing out my creative sort of muscles right. that, that I would learn how to, because it's like, by the time I got to 35, I'd kind of, I don't mean mastered in the sense of like my work's perfect, but I mean, I knew that if I had an idea, I could execute it and finish it. Whereas for a lot of people, that's a big challenge they continue to work on because I started so young, Mm -hmm. 20 years into my career, I was like, okay, I can make an album. It's not write a song. It's not, it's not that hard for me. So I started like thinking, wow, I wonder if I can help lend my energy and lend my ideas to some other great thinkers and help them sort of facilitate what they want to do. Right. So you kind of have grown to enjoy the challenges. And I've been thinking a lot about the challenges while under quarantine, like the challenges of being a parent, the challenges of being a husband, because I am around my wife at all times. She's also (laughs) my creative partner. So I've been thinking about the creative challenges of working with someone so close. Out of those three things, father, husband, and creative partner which josh is yours what do you find the most uh challenging in this time um i think parenting is the most challenging Mm -hmm. it's funny just in the modern world we're not used to being around the clock with our kids like we begin to send them on a journey of independence from when they're you know in stages from when they're five years old or whatever it is so We've all gotten a lot closer, but I certainly find that's the area where I get challenged the most and where I lose my temper the most and where, you know, it's what I sort of have to, I get confronted with the most. I read in an interview that you did that you are past the point of being afraid of what people think of you as an artist. And just as another parent, I was curious, do you work on instilling this in your kids, like the sense of self-assuredness and individuality? And how do you do that? Yeah, I mean... In some ways, I think the best lessons you learn from your parents are not the ones they verbalize to you, but what you see them doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the integrity with how they live their life. So I, I don't talk about it that much. I just do it. Mm-hmm. Um, like it was funny. Like my daughter Goldie is really into this YouTube family from Australia <laughs> called the Norris Nuts. And um, 
and the little boy in it, he's like, he likes to sing and rap and everything. And I only the other day, I was like, you should do a song with him. So I just reached out on Instagram. <laughs> I was like, hey, if Biggie wants to do a punk song, I can help him with that. And Goldie was like totally in shock that I would just have the audacity <laughs> to reach out to like, so that's an example where like, it didn't take a lot of explaining. It was like, I was like, that's how you do it. You just put yourself out there and what happens, happens. But opportunities come to people that aren't afraid to make themselves available. You mm-hmm. Know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And when you're reaching out at things like this and this kid that wants to create a punk song, does Goldie realize that you are like Australian punk rock royalty? Yeah, she's kind of like, she's kind of like slowly dawning on her that like, <laughs> basically if you meet an Australian, they know who I am. Because <laughs> um, it's obviously very different in America. Like there's, you know, people who know me or whatever, but you know, in Australia, it's like my work has a certain cultural importance or something, you know, that's like in the middle of the fabric. So, so yeah, that's kind of landing on her slowly. Are you worried about her once she realizes, like, I'm sure you've been called a prodigy a million times in your life, especially between the ages of 16 and 23. Is she feeling any pressure that she has to have some sort of musical gifts or acting gifts, given the fact that both of her parents are extremely talented? I don't know. My stepdaughter had that because she mm-hmm. was like at 18, you know, she's like a normal kid who doesn't quite know what they want to do with their life. Mm-hmm. And she said it was, that was very tricky for her that she felt unconsciously that she, for a long time, she wanted to be a prodigy of some kind. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, look, look, you have to be profoundly unhappy in order to become a prodigy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, may you be cursed with a problem of not having the drive to escape that badly. Yeah. Yeah. And is she involved, uh, the eldest, in anything creative or has she decided to kind of take a different path? No, no, lots, but just not in a way that is like, this is my thing. You right. know what I mean? Like she's experimenting. Like, yeah. Kind of what you should be doing at that age. Yeah, absolutely. And then what about Goldie, the youngest? Does she have any kind of inclinations to that? Yeah, she plays, well, she plays the harp and she, um, you know, but she likes gymnastics. She's really good at The Sims. I mean, I kind of like just want her to explore things she likes yeah. and get good at them. So it's it's all I don't I try not to put that pressure on her. You know. Now yeah. we used to have very strict rules when it came to screen time. Mind you, our daughter is two years old. But <laughs> before quarantine, it was like we'd give her like twenty minutes to an hour, maybe uh, in a week of screen time. And now it seems like. All she's doing is watching TV. Have any rules or restrictions that you have either been lifted or enhanced since this has all begun? Me and Ioni, like our parenting style has never been about uh, like enforcement of rules. Mm -hmm. Like we, we, we don't really have rules and we don't have punishments. Um, we're more interested in teaching the kids how to tap into their own feelings of when something is too much. Mm-hmm. Right. So we'll do a lot of like asking, like, do you feel, have you watched maybe too many shows? Like, is that why you're feeling a little antsy or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, but I think it's more, for me, it's more interesting to try and like help them find their own compass than just have them use ours. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And Ben, I was curious about asking you because I I was recently doing a deep dive into Ben Lee and Noise Addict and things because, to be honest, I'm a little younger than Shane. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, of course. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, he's a massive fan of yours. And myself, 
I was familiar, but not too familiar. And then when I started really getting into it, I was like, oh my God, I know way more of this guy's music than I thought I did. And I am so into it. You've toured with some of my favorite bands like Pavement, the Lemonheads. You even played a show with Harmar, Harmar Superstar, which nobody knows him. I was so excited about that. <laughs> and your life itself, because that's what I really didn't know about. And I was so fascinated with kind of your, I guess, spiritual journey. Uh, like you were raised Jewish. Since then, you've studied Taoism. You had a Hindu marriage. Uh, from what I've read, esoteric Christianity and mystical Judaism. So does spirituality or religion play a big role in your family? Um, you mean now? Yeah. Like in my family? Um, mm -hmm. uh, no, I would say. I would say that like um, I didn't really look at all these things as separate religions. Mm -hmm. I looked at them as the sort of contents of our shared mythology as right. a species. And I was always interested in like what, it's like reading different psychology, like reading Freud and Jung. You don't have to be a Freudian or mm -hmm. a Jungian. You can see what you can take from both. So um, I, I, in some ways, am probably quite um, skeptical about the role of organized religion. Yeah. And I am even skeptical of words kind of like God and like spirituality mm -hmm. that they come with a lot of baggage. So I always try to explain it to the kids in terms of like intuition. Like we're artists. Like when I really think of what's our religion, our religion is that we're artists, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and there is an inner voice that guides you as an artist. And I think in religion, they've called that God. But it's the voice of your conscience of what is right, what's true for you. Mm -hmm. What are you trying to express? When are you close to it? When are you far from it? So in that way, there's sort of a kind of a morality, I suppose. But I like the idea of the kids growing up autonomous and not mm -hmm. feeling that they need to run their morality by a sort of like institution or, a, or right. something even in their heads that they're worried is judging them. So you're kind of using it to help them, or I guess your hope is that they just possibly use it to help form their own beliefs and what, you know, their own moral compass, and then use that kind of going forward. Yeah, it's like, I don't think you have to call it God or call it yeah. spirituality in yeah. order to feel that there are right and wrong choices for you. Mm -hmm. You know, like Absolutely. I've made choices that feel out of alignment with who I really am. Mm -hmm. um, and I prefer to language things around that. I think it's more easier to understand in a way. So one thing that you did uh, kind of recently in 2017 that, you know, has relation to this is that you wrote an album, Ben Lee sings songs about Islam for the whole family. And I listened to the one. I, I had to write it down because I can't say it on my own. La ila illa it is so catchy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is so catchy. Yeah, yeah. So what yeah. was that in response to because i was reading a bit about trump and his travel bans and was that all there was yeah. to it or well that came before the travel bans that album yeah i'd already made the album and i was sitting i was planning at that point to make five albums kids albums about each of the world's major religions one right. each and release them all simultaneously and i'd only finished one but then when the travel ban happened i just thought i gotta put this out because like when you have 
such a sort of gross generalization occurring about a group of people or mm. a, a philosophy or there's so much misunderstanding. It's important to take a stand as someone who is open to ideas. Absolutely. And I think in general, that's what a lot of my life has been about, like taking a stand for being open to ideas. Did you did you get a lot of support with that or were people kind of scratching their heads? Because it, it really is like the sweetest album. Yeah, I think a, a bit of both. I mean, that's sort of been my whole career, really. Um, <laughs> there are, I still get messages all the time about people who that album meaningful for. I sometimes forget I made it. Um, <laughs> You know, like I'm very like in the present with whatever I'm working on. Yeah. Um, I'm just sort of, yeah, moving forward. So, but yeah, some people seem to resonate with that. Like I know you had planned to do the five major religions, but did you ever get to the other four or were you like the heat's too much yeah, on this one? I, no, I did a bit of writing and I've got, got into recording some of them, but I just sort of, in a way, lost interest because I sort of thought, this is, the idea has done what it had to do. And Ben, as, okay, so Shane and I are creative people. Shane is a commercial producer and director, and we host this podcast together as well as uh, other things in the parenting world. So would you have any advice to other creative people who happen to be parents and kind of balancing their own creativity and their own drive with having to be there for their kids and maybe having to, you know, kind of tone things down in order to or not tone things down in order to keep a family going. Yeah, I, oh, I mean, it's an ongoing... It's like, you know, I heard someone once say, go for depth over balance. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, whatever it is you're doing, acknowledge that you probably won't be able to get in balance. Like, yeah. if you're working, you're ignoring the kids. If you're with the kids, you're ignoring your work. <laughs> but go for depth and be present in whatever it is you're doing. Yeah. Make it a deep experience. Because sometimes, like, for, say, songwriting... You can write a song that will change your life and career in half an hour. So that's half an hour very well spent Mm -hmm. if you are deep in that experience for that half an hour. And similarly with parenting, you can have an experience with your kid that opens up a lot of things, you know. So so I think that maybe is the only advice I can offer. No, and I think that's fantastic advice because so many times and so much of the time we are just, you know, doing one thing that we have to do, whether it is for work or spending time with our kids, which we also want to do, but our mind is elsewhere on whatever we're not focusing yeah. on. So I think it's so important yeah. to realign kind of like that. But Ben, we are going to let you go, and we are so thankful that you were able to join us today. Where can people go and find you online? Well, they can just find me on all my socials, Ben Lee Music. Ben Lee Music. Amazing. Yeah. Ben, again, thanks a ton. We hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Yes, thank you so much. See you guys. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, so hopefully, uh, hopefully people enjoyed you asking those questions. Yeah, Shane, you. I wouldn't say that you left me out to dry per se, but I was put on the spot more than I thought I was going to be. I'm sorry, but let's move on, okay? All right, let's do it. Let's get to some listener questions. Do you guys ever get nervous about sharing your experiences publicly? Um. I only get nervous that I might offend someone accidentally because me, right. myself, I I don't get that embarrassed. I have a pretty good way of compartmentalizing things in the past and mm-hmm. just ending it. And the second I kick this podcast out, it's almost like it never happened. Um, I get I get nervous sometimes because we do talk a lot about, you know, personal things, personal issues. 
And generally, though, like when I get nervous, I think the height of my nervousness is the day after we do the recording and then maybe the day before it goes out onto air. And after that, I just... I feel really good about it. And again, the feedback is usually so positive of people appreciating us being so open and appreciating us talking about things that maybe they're having a hard time talking to people in their life about. So I don't know. It's it's giving me a little bit more confidence to, you know. And sometimes I like to think, what is there actually to be nervous about? Like, what am I nervous about? What am I scared? What's going to be revealed that I'm going to be so ashamed of? And I try to think that way when I'm talking or doing a podcast and just being as honest as possible. Mm-hmm. No, and that really so. helps with my nerves. Yeah, no, I think that's good. Um, the next question we have, do you plan on doing a newborn slash family photo shoot? We have been, girl. And if you check out one of our earlier podcasts with Ashley Classen, she is a Toronto and Montreal-based photographer, she gives some tips on how to do a photo shoot at home. Because we're definitely not going to hire somebody to do a photo shoot for us because... We're in quarantine, but we have been taking photos here and there, you know, just to keep them short for Lucy um, as the baby bunk gets bigger. And I think baby I, bunk? <laughs> I say that baby bump, mm. baby bump gets bigger. And when Betty gets here, uh, maybe we'll try to do a little photo shoot, but yeah, we'll see how it goes. But they're turning out nice from home. Yeah, we run a blog every, every day is a damn photo shoot. <laughs> All right. So question, both my hubby and I eat meat. However, he wants to raise our toddler vegetarian. What do we do? Hmm, that's a that's a good question. Wait, he why does he want to raise the toddler vegetarian if he himself is eating meat? Well, maybe because they, I would, okay, first of all, I would model what you want to show your kids and I would start eating meat less or become a vegetarian yourself if you're so intent on raising your kid a vegetarian yeah because you have to model that behavior you yourself are going to kind of need to know the life hacks on how to get all the the vitamins that you need so you don't have any deficiencies yeah and if you yourself aren't doing it be hard to thrust a toddler into that world with confidence yeah 100 percent. you have to show them how to do it and why to do it and if you want to raise your toddler vegetarian to like decrease their environmental footprint or something then you you need to do that too. Like you can't just get your kid no, but to you make up for to. yeah no. But like you can't just get your kid to make up for the ways in which you feel guilty. You know what I mean? Like you have to kind of take a step to do it. We as We well. don't know the reasons why here, so I don't want to assume the reasons. But I will say, do the research like crazy. Mm-hmm. Try to follow it. To I would consult a nutritionist. Yeah, one hundred percent. And really dig into learning all you can about it and go for it but if you don't want to do it and your husband does that is something that seriously needs to be discussed and maybe your husband isn't prepared to actually follow it so strict and once he realizes how hard it's going to be maybe Mm -hmm. he won't want to but i definitely think there needs to be like a a pretty intense conversation about uh, concessions and if anyone's willing to make any and if not how strict and sturgent you're going to follow this diet because I think diet is pretty important to a newborn. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think a good place to start would maybe be just, you know, slowly transitioning or testing out the waters. And a good place you can go to get some ideas would be on Instagram at Plant Based Juniors. 
uh, and they can help give you some ideas just to kind of incorporate if you want to eat less meat and things, um, plant-based snacks for kids and meals for kids. Wouldn't it suck though if you raised your kid, your plan was I never want my child to taste meat. Yeah. And you raise him from zero to... 12 and then he's like i want to eat a burger and then he eats one burger and becomes obsessed with burgers you're like i've wasted the first 12 years of my life (laughs) like i wanted to do this experiment where the kid never touches meat well and that's that's the thing about modeling though because then you want to show them why it's better not to eat meat in some cases and the reasons why you're doing that right whether it's for animal rights or environmental impact whatever that needs to be kind of indoctrinated along with it too you can't just say oh you don't eat meat why well just because you don't but maybe the husband's like you know what i'm addicted to meat and i don't want my kid to become addicted and yeah i'll cut back to uh three of my meals a week are just going to be plant-based but i can't go 100 percent. but a kid who's never tasted meat they can go 100 percent meatless life so see a nutritionist and check out plant-based juniors all right Next question. Partners that have different parenting styles, opinions, and how to manage this. That can be so tricky, especially as kids get older because the problems get bigger, get more serious. Uh, So I would try to get yourselves on the same page, I think, as much as you can. And if you have different styles and different ways that you like to implement discipline or whatever, then maybe reach out and get somebody else's help. Uh, like a professional's help to try to get your parenting styles to be more cohesive and complementary while still staying true to yourselves rather than so contradictory. So I would say either try to get on the same page or if you do want to keep your own styles and your own way of doing things, try to find out a way that you can do that together where it'll be more cohesive. I would buy masterclass now there's two ways you can do it you can buy it for the year and then you can watch every masterclass or you can just buy this one masterclass which is with a master fbi negotiator and he teaches you how the power of influence is so strong that you can convince almost anyone to do anything you want and once you have these skills i think you'll be able to negotiate your way into figuring out an appropriate compromise where everyone's happy is that why you win every argument we have well being right 100 percent of the time is also Whoa. a life hack but i i can't recommend that to someone else my husband the genius all right the next question Be quite, you, <laughs> i like this character you put on <laughs> how to get my partner to help more around the house without sounding like i'm nagging well i think the way to do it is to not ask in the moment. So a conversation that's totally when things are really good and everyone's in a good mood and be like, honey, and like joking and playful, could you could you do this tomorrow? Like with a little like shoulder <laughs> massage. But in the moment when things are kind of stressful and you're like, oh, could you do that? It can be a little grating. It's hard to get the the right word again. But the thing is, sometimes things happen in the moment and you have, you know, you're juggling five different things. Of course, things. and then you can sound like a nag. Mm-hmm. She's asking how to not sound like a nag. Yeah, if you have time on your side, I agree with Shane, do it that way. Or, again, not to, you know, nag about scheduling, but put it in your schedule. 
make sure you both know what needs to get done and then you can see what the other is doing kind of all day and it seems more equitable and then you can kind of looking at you know your your partner's schedule looking at your own you can both see what you're doing both see what you're putting in and scheduling is great but scheduling is not always realistic for people so another good mm-hmm. trick is go to the washroom and send a text and in the text people read things in their own voice and a text can sound nicer than the tonality of your voice what if you have a really angry voice the the person's reading it in their own voice mm. well what so, if they what if they recognize that they have an angry voice i guess you're not going to recognize that in yourself well y- you can word things word it kindly you're burping like a machine Shane, what is it what's stop. going on it's the mexican food okay so if if i texted alex honey you're burping like a machine <laughs> she would laugh if she read that text but me saying you're burping like a machine she she gets angry <laughs> But if you had texted me, it's the Mexican food, I, and put ha-ha after, I'd be like, we're having a good conversation. But the way you said it's the Mexican food. What What was wrong with the way I said it's the Mexican food? I said, it's the Mexican food. We'll play that back to see if you actually said it that way. I think I said it fine. Stop. It's the Mexican food. But point is, texting is a good trick to get what you want because a text can sometimes sound kinder. Right. Okay. So I like that. Moving on to the next question. Perhaps not for this podcast, but I'd love to hear from a person of color about how we, white parents, can help break the cycle of systemic racism and educate our children about privilege. I do my best to raise my kids to be kind, loving, and accepting towards everyone but would love to know how I can be better in this aspect. No, we we don't have anybody uh, that is able to come on at the moment, but this is something that Shane and I absolutely want to do, not just for ourselves, but for everyone else. However, uh, there are ways, and I I told this woman uh, online that, look, like we're not going to have access to somebody tonight, but we will speak from our perspectives as limited as they may be. So what we try to do in our home, like the first dolly baby doll we bought, Lucy, was a black baby. Just to, you know, see a doll, see a baby that doesn't look like her, that she can still love and play with and hold on to. Well, you don't want to have that kid that's pointing out minorities and being like, why are they like that? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there's a famous story of when you're a child. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. That was embarrassing. I... There, Yeah, I, I basically ran up to a, a woman when I was two and a half and embarrassed my parents because I was so excited that there was a chocolate lady. And I mean, maybe my parents should have been <laughs> educating me a little bit earlier on, which they did as I grew up later in life. But of course, we're realizing now that for so many people, that's not good enough. One of the other things we like to do in our house is just sharing stories, reading books with, you know, characters of all different colors, all different stories. So there's these little feminist books that are so great. And they just tell the stories of different women that have accomplished things in the past. And we have our little Rosa Parks, 
And Lucy has loved that since she was a baby and all those little feminist books. But I looked into this further because we do want to make more of a difference. So I have some more books that you can get that kind of help introduce your young children to race. Uh, so first off, we have Whose Toes Are Those by Jabari Asim. We have Let's Talk About Race by Julius Lester and a book called Lovely by Jess Hong. I got all this information that I'm going to go through with you guys on prettygooddesign.org. So there's an article, if you go to prettygooddesign.org, there's an article called Your Kids Aren't Too Young to Talk About Race. And then it just gives you a ton of resources and it's really amazing. So it gives resources to discuss this with kids of different ages, of kids in your classroom if you're a teacher like me, or to educate yourself further if you are an adult who realizes they need more education. A couple more websites you can go to to help you kind of get started on talking to your young kids about race. You can go to npr.org and go to the article called Talking Race with Young Children. Go to booksforlittles.com and then they have a, a great article called Anti-Racism 101. It's just really basic, easy things that you can start doing. Lastly, there's cupofjoe.com and cup of joe is spelled j-o not j-o-e and then you can go to their article called raising race conscious children now basically for maybe lucy's age group and you know the next few years following that uh just some good tips i picked up from reading things online and again these are really basic but don't shush or shut down your kid if they mention race or if they say something about it. Use everything you can as learning experience. Secondly, don't wait for them to bring it up. Who knows, especially if you live in an all-white suburb, <laughs> don't wait for them to bring it up because they probably never will. So you bring it up. You are kind of the gatekeeper for what your child is going to learn and what they have access to. So open those gates and let them learn about the world. Don't keep them shuttered in. Uh, next, be proactive in helping them build a positive awareness of diversity. So make sure that they're not seeing images of, you know, whether it's Middle Eastern people, Asian people, black people, white people, only in one setting doing one thing. Show them that people aren't defined by the color of their skin or where they're from and that you can find examples of people of almost any race doing any kind of job. And again, you can get that through sharing stories and checking out some of the kids' books I mentioned. Lastly, don't avoid sad topics like slavery and the Holocaust. Give your kids facts, and of course this is for when they're a little bit older. Give them facts and focus on resistance and allies like what, what in those situations. What age is it okay to bring up the Holocaust? Do we wait till she's three or like what, what age? So the Holocaust, I am not sure because I think you have to be a little bit older to have a better understanding of history for that. See, I don't even know. I have not looked into that. Suri, when can I talk to my kid about the Holocaust? I found this on the web. See, Shane, okay. I think before we find out the ultimate answer from Siri, that you bring it up the second an opportunity presents itself. Okay, how young is too young to teach my child about the Holocaust? Jesus. <laughs> Not an easy answer with Siri. So I'll interject and say what I think. 
But I think like race, um, because oh, I can't. Okay, grade that. six. What? How old are you in grade six? Like what? Eleven. But that even seems too late because if you think about it, Jewish families are going to be teaching their kids because they're the ones that experienced it, and they're the ones that still experience discrimination for their religion. They're going to be teaching their kids about it from the time. Well, okay, so this is just when you can visit the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. Okay. And that's because students in grade six and above demonstrate the ability to empathize with individual eyewitness accounts and to attempt to understand the complexities of Holocaust history. Yeah, so I, I think that, again, don't wait for opportunities to present themselves and, and start just bringing up topics like this when you can in age-appropriate ways just discuss these topics with them in an age-appropriate way like i i haven't even thought about talking to lucy about the holocaust yet and i have not had to have that conversation with any young kids but a few months ago actually i was reading books about slavery to a grade one class and they weren't they weren't happy books and i don't think that they need to be or that they should be but it talked about slavery from a character that the kids could relate to was their age and shared that character's story. And a lot of the kids were sad at the end. And then we had to talk about why they were feeling sad and what was wrong with the situation in the not, in the in the storybook. I'm going to try to find out what that was called because it was a really great one. It may have been called like The Box or something like that. But it was, it was really effective. And uh, just talking to all those really little kids who are much younger than I usually teach uh, it impacted me so much after and I came out of that day like incredibly emotional when I came home that night. So check out again prettygooddesign.org and you will find a ton of resources to help you out. Last question. If you and Shane could live anywhere else in the world where would it be and why? I love Hamilton. <laughs> I love where we live and I I guess want to live in a similar size city so our city has about 500,000 people which is nice because it's still busy you still get the feeling that you're in you know a bustling multicultural place without having like the craziness that is Toronto which is a major city so I don't know Victoria BC Halifax Halifax Nova Scotia I'd love to give Portland a shot yeah I could do Portland all right yeah just any uh any city with a good vibe and not too many people I think yeah, and I'm only really basing this on Portlandia and how interesting it seemed. Yeah, but we did like Halifax. Yeah, I really like Halifax. I could totally uh, settle down there. All right, what an episode. <laughs> it was, and we do hope that you guys enjoyed. And thanks for sticking around for this, fi- this family tree podcast, podcast episode, episode 40. 40. Boom, boom.